What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Av Geek Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Colin, the chief Av Geek, aviation maniac, or whatever you want to call me. Welcome back, everyone. Hope everyone's having a great week. Hopefully, nobody, uh, at least here in the United States, is being affected too much by all the crazy, crazy weather that we've been having. Rain and uh, some hail down here uh, in the south in DFW, and I know there's been bomb cyclones uh, uh, up in the the Midwest and the northern part uh, of the United States. So if you're around the world, I mean, the United States has been experiencing some crazy, crazy weather. But first, guys, I wanted to apologize. We've been off the podcast for about two weeks. Uh, things have just got a little hectic. Been doing a, uh, a little bit of flying, uh, which has been great. Been getting some good cross-country hours uh, to place uh, into my instrument requirements. Um, and then been doing some family stuff. Had family in town for the Easter break. So really want to focus uh, and give some time to the family because, uh, you know, living in, in different states, it, it's, you know, we don't get to spend a lot of time with them. So when they do come, uh, we appreciate it a lot and we want to devote our whole entire attention to uh, the family and just work's been busy but fun. Um, so it took a two, uh, about a two-week break uh, from the podcast. So I do apologize that we haven't released an episode soon. But we're back today and we got another episode of the Ask the Av Geek show. Uh, and today... I got another special guest for everybody. Uh, I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy this episode. Uh, I know me and the guests have been trying to schedule this one for a little bit, and we finally made it happen. We were able to coordinate schedules because uh, he's busy, and he, he'll explain a little bit later. But I want to welcome to the Avgeek Chronicles podcast and the Ask the Avgeek show. Excuse me, man. Uh, Ian Rodriguez. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, dude. I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, well, I guess as good as you could be doing on a Monday night. Yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a new week. Summer's coming. Man, I'm glad I'm getting back in the air. It looks like you're doing a lot of good flying uh, yeah. as well. well so. Weather's finally good. Weather's finally good here for two days, and then it's going to be cloudy for a week. Yeah, cloudy for a week. And then let's see, for the next three days here in DFW, it's just going to rain, 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 rain. Like yep. it hasn't rained enough over the last three weeks. It's keeping me from that. I'm telling you, I need that instrument rating so bad. We're, <laughs> Go for it, dude. We're working come, on come it. Come to Nashville. <laughs> we're working on it. Um, all right, Ian, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the audience. Where are you originally from? How old are you? Uh, kind of let's let's get the background to the audience. Sure. So I'm originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, but I wasn't raised there. You know, my dad was military, so I moved around uh, Texas, Virginia, and then ended up mostly growing up in Columbus, Georgia, near Fort Benning. And made my way up to Nashville for college and uh, most of my flight training days. I'm 23, but my birthday is exactly seven days from now. I'm turning 24, if you can't do that math. Um, but yeah, so that's a short, short, short background with me. I'm a CFII. Um, I'm about to start up my multi-engine commercial training. And uh, I'm just one day want to tackle as many ratings and fly as many planes as I can. Just you know, be a, well, be a well-rounded pilot. I couldn't, I couldn't end that private i couldn't end at instrument i couldn't end at commercials so we'll see where it ends you just you just have it in your blood right <laughs> yeah. yeah i do so how many states we were talking about this prior to the podcast how many states have you lived in now uh i mean i've never i haven't counted but not many you know i'm, I'm pretty blessed to not have to have moved around as many as a lot of military brats do so i've only had to live in you know puerto rico texas virginia and georgia uh, a lot of my some of my family is spread out between new york and florida too but uh it's mostly just those those four places yeah so and tell the audience so tell the audience how did you end up 
in Nashville? I mean, you moved around a lot, um, and we really, and you don't have to go into the full story because I know we talked about it, uh, before we started recording, but you have a really interesting story and I think it really helped a lot of people. So let's hear the story on how you actually ended up there in Nashville. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, my dad was military. I wanted to go to the Air Force. And uh, so I chose, of course, the Air Force Academy of all places uh, and all ways to join the military. And uh, long story short, in that process, it can be quite long. You, you kind of you kind of know a little bit about that yourself. And um, I figured, OK, well, if I'm going to wait that long, I might as well have a backup in case I don't get in. And it was between Embry-Riddle in Daytona Beach and uh, Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee for audio engineering, music, music industry stuff. And that I, I chose uh, to go to Belmont while I waited for the letter from the academy um, and just because Embry-Riddle was way more expensive uh, for training and, and the degree there. So I thought Belmont would be a little bit more diverse and different and something unique. So I went there, got the letter. Unfortunately, didn't get in. But, um, you know, I'm still here. I'm still flying. So uh, that's kind of how I ended up in Nashville. Yeah. So speaking of Nashville, and I guess it's kind of funny how you're there. So you had a little business on the side and we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. You know, were you prior to moving to Nashville? Was it just music or were you just a serious country music fan? Oh, gosh. I'm going to say now I was not a country music fan at all. I'm barely a country music fan now. I like it a little more. It has grown on me a little bit more. Um, but no, it wasn't because of the country music. It was, uh, it was just cause I mean, I like music. I got into guitar stuff before I got into flying and, yeah. uh, and as you know, I, I got, I got to play more and more. I was like, okay, I started following people on YouTube, kind of like how pilots follow people on Instagram. Yep. Um, I inspired to kind of go that route and, uh, kind of the studio, the studio route more specifically. And so the audio engineering degree really, um, enticed me. I'm going to say now you don't need a degree for that. Don't go wasting $40,000 a semester or a year or whatever the cost was for an audio degree when you can learn all that stuff. And that goes for aviation too. And we can talk more about that as the podcast goes on. But uh, YouTube, YouTube university is a great college. Yeah, if anybody yeah. wants to know Google university, YouTube Google university. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing the the stuff you can find out online. People are just I don't know, man. It's like you could have found that on Google. Yeah. Like I think my wife asked me there. How do you do something? I'm like, Google it. Like, oh yeah. Like, hey, I need to. Oh yeah, I just watched a YouTube video this the other day. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I yep, know. I know. We're both into. Uh, we're both into photography. Uh, yeah. And I I I was taking pictures uh, while I was flying a couple weeks ago, and I noticed some spots starting to form on my lens. I'm like gosh darn it what the heck's happening and i popped open uh, i have a sony a7 i popped open the case sure enough you know there's dust sitting on my yeah. sitting on my sense i'm like shoot i didn't want this yeah. to happen i knew it was gonna happen but i wasn't gonna pay some i think i called a, a local shop it was like 80 bucks to clean my sensor i went okay. youtubed it and the guy's like okay here get this 12 dollar kit get this kit do it together for 30 bucks and you clean it and you'll have stuff for 10 more times yeah, I'm 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 learning something from this podcast then because I have yet to have an issue with the sensors and my lenses. Yeah. And I got I got some expensive gear, and so I wouldn't know what to do. So now I just learned. Just Google it. Yeah, <laughs> just it's, figure it out. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Um, all right, so moving all the time, uh, I, I mean, it obviously probably brought some challenges to you. So what was it like moving from state to state as you were growing up? Honestly, I think um, you know, luckily as a kid. 
I I don't know if it was me being naive. I don't know if it was me just not paying attention to my surroundings at the time because I don't know. I just I, I was all over the place as a kid. I was a wild one. And uh, that being said, I, I don't really remember a lot from from that time in my life. And it could be because I was moving around so much. There was nothing to attached to no nostalgia with the places um i don't remember texas very much i remember being very flat very hot uh when i was in san antonio wichita falls well nothing's uh, changed so just saying. Uh, nothing's changed like, <laughs> yeah so i don't plan on going back then unless i'm coming to visit some friends then uh but virginia i mean i loved one friend that i had there and i still remember here or one or two that i remember still and i was only like maybe i think i did first and second grade there you know that was so long ago so um but I don't miss. I don't really miss much about Virginia. It was really expensive there, and it's too close to DC. I'm not a northern guy. Um, I, I do like the cold a little bit more. But as I came to Georgia, um, you know, I could finally settle down a bit, and I could see the difference in that. And it was just nice being able not to have to pick up and go. You know. Um, that being said, though, uh, it also is. You know, training can be a lot easier when you're staying in one spot rather than moving around, you know, I, so I'm really glad I didn't have to move around a lot when I started getting into the flight training thing. Cause I've, I've been there quite, I've been to three different places to learn to train and, um, it can be a lot, you know, having to get a new instructor and switching out new teaching styles and accepting that. And so, yeah, I mean, the moving thing can have a big effect. I don't know. Maybe it did have a big effect on me. Maybe it didn't, but, uh, I've, I have a lot of military friends that would say otherwise that they, that it definitely affected them a lot. So, so, so growing up and doing all the moving and, and kind of all the experiences you've had, if you think back to your childhood, is there really anything that you wish you could have experienced, you know, more as a kid uh, growing up? You know, maybe things that you missed out that you wish or just air you know, shows, really air shows, air shows, 100 um, percent. Georgia was the first air show I ever saw the Columbus air show. And honestly, Columbus, Georgia, of all places with an air show, it's like not that it's nothing like Oshkosh. Yeah, it's. It's nothing like any of those any of those big air shows, and uh, so definitely I wish I could. I still have yet to been to like a really really big air show. Um, Sun and Fun just happened recently, yep. and I've never, I've never been to Sun and Fun. I've never been to Oshkosh, and so I've never been to a fly-in. So these things, I, I'm a I got a lot to I got to a lot of virginity to lose when it comes to those kind of things. Yeah, that that's kind of funny that you said that because that was I've only been to a few air shows, and those that's what really man like. I think I went to one when I was in college, and that's yeah. what really got me and really, yeah. uh, you know, stuck uh, aviation in my head. But I mean, it was so I was like, man, I really want to become part uh, of an air show, see how it's run, see how how just air shows become successful. So now that uh, I'm into my second year uh, as a volunteer coordinator, like a committee member uh, yeah. for our local, the Fort Worth Alliance Air Show, um, which is super cool because. I tell you, man, it, I don't think people, people only see like the blue angels and the, um, the, like the Thunderbirds and those yep. guys. I mean, being able to meet them and all the other performers, I mean, just seeing like who they are as people and seeing them outside of aviation, they're not performers, man. These guys are just normal people doing this for a living and doing it for fun yeah. to, you know, provide for our industry. Um, I don't know, man. So that's good that you have that because I know how it's impacted me. So I can only imagine how it can impact you too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, this luckily Smyrna has a pretty big air show. The blue angels come through and, and, uh, it's, it's definitely something I want to get more involved with. But you know, when you ask that question, the first place my, my mind went is I did not see enough air shows like, like two, it was the same, there was the same one, but I saw it twice. So, (laughs) 
<laughs> I got to I got to see more of those. So when did you, you know, when did you start getting that itch for aviation? And, you know, if you can think back, how old were you? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's funny with aviation. Uh, it's like, I feel like I'm still growing into it. I feel like I'm still super young with it because, you know, I thought of the moment it came into my mind, like I want to do flight training was I was 16, but it wasn't because I had an itch. It was because I was trying to strategize. I was a kid. I was a kid wanting to be an astronaut, like tons of other kids. And uh, one day in middle school, I go, I'm not smart enough to be an aerospace engineer. Not smart enough to go that route. So what can I do? I can join the military. So I'm going to get my private pilot's license. I'm going to go to the academy, blah, blah, blah. Little did I know that they don't care about having a private pilot's license going into that. It's just extra info to have for them. But um, that being said, I got my private because I was thinking, oh, I'm being smart. I'm working the system, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's kind of how it, it started. So it's kind of like it, it found me in a way because it's not like it's like I said, I didn't go to a lot of air shows. My dad wasn't even a pilot. Um, I just I just found myself in the cockpit of a plane so that I could get somewhere else, like aka the military. And then as I flew more and more and more, I thought it was a lot of a lot of fun. I found homage in being in that environment, and uh, it kind of grew on me more and more until one day in college, I was like, this is the move. This is it. So uh, that's kind of how, you know, I got the itch, I guess. So was ROTC ever a thought? You know, you said the Academy in which you mm-hmm. went through. Did you ever think of, I mean, it was like me. I never, yes. I actually never thought of ROTC to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as college ROTC, no, I, uh, I didn't do, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I didn't want to go that route. What I thought was, okay, uh, I didn't get into the Academy, but what I can do is graduate, get my degree, just period, get the degree, and then I can do OCS or OTS training, officer training school, um, which is like skipping past ROTC and catching up in all that training, yep. and then you come out of that training as an officer rather than enlisted. And I thought of doing that, but I had I had an injury um, as well later on. So the the academy uh, to catch the viewers up and what we were talking about earlier, uh, academy denied me because I had a you know the kidney failure on the record, and so they thought you know what if he gets injured again. Um, medical waiver, everything, but still. Anyways, I got injured as they predicted. And, uh, you know, uh, back injury, I picked up a big box, really heavy boxes, wide, as wide as the height of my body, and it filled up to the brim. So I was moving back to college over the summer and picked it up, slipped a disc, sat, oh. on, it, sat on it for three months because I didn't think it was a big deal. Got worse and worse. They told me it's a slip disc, got worse, it turned into two slip discs turned into severe degenerative disc disease, turned into all this stuff. And, uh, yeah. So with that being said, I thought, Oh, I'm not going into the military. I do not want to do that to myself because what ended up happening is I got a procedure done, not, not necessarily surgery, but the procedure numbed the nerves in my spine. And, um, I was, I, all the pain went away and I took that time, that temporary time while it was numb to condition myself and build up some strength in my core and I've been great ever since. This was like two years ago, three years ago. And um, now I'm good. I haven't had an issue ever since. And I thought, oh, I could be military now. But, you know, just in case, I take it easy. So uh, funny enough in that period, and the reason why it's kind of relevant to aviation is the only time during that period before I got the procedure that I didn't have any pain was sitting in the cockpit of an airplane. It was the weirdest thing. I would, I would be in the most excruciating pain all the time, but I'd sit in the plane and all of a sudden it'd go away. 
it disappeared completely. And that was another like sign. I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to fly the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about that because I, I, I feel a lot of what you're saying, right? Because I did a, pod, a podcast early on. And one of the things I said is, you know, it's probably not smart for pilots to be in the air when they're not mentally like prepared or mentally in it or feeling it, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go into the cockpit off a big fight or something, right? It's not like driving around. I mean, you're getting in a machine going up a couple thousand feet in the air and putting your own life at risk if you're not mentally prepared. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, after a week of stress or something, or you had a rough week or whatever, you know, there's something about sitting in the pilot seat, being in control of the aircraft up in the air, with no one around you, right? I love flying with other people, but there are times where flying by yourself is just so liberating. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just sure. it's just strange. Um, so were your parents at all in the aviation space? I know your dad's, you were in the Air, Avi- uh, the Air Force. Yeah, my dad was Air Force, and he did airborne training, just jump school. But nope, they were not pilots at all. My dad wanted to do it, but back in those days, you had to have good eyesight. Yeah. Uh, not the case anymore, thank goodness. Um, but that being said, yeah, no, not, neither of them are pilots. No one in the family. I'm the only pilot in my family. First, first one so far. And so it's obviously it was a self created inspiration that this is what you wanted uh, yeah. to do. And through it all, you know, you wanted to do the academy. You went to Nashville. You started a business. I mean, yeah. you joined the. You, you started training more again uh, in, in flight school. What was really, I don't know, maybe that one linchpin thing that you said, you know what, this is my thing. Like this is, this is exactly yeah. what I want to be doing. Yeah. The moment I realized it was, I, I was a senior year of college. You know, it took me a long time. Like it took me a year and a half cause I started 16 training and this is junior year of high school. I'm going really slow. I'm not, t- I'm like not really taking it that seriously. Cause again, I don't have that itch yet. It's like, I'm just being calculative trying to get into the academy, but you know, I spent a year to a year and a half. I started in 2011. I get my license October 2013, my private. And then I moved to Georgia State and I go in Atlanta and I go to Nashville. And I don't start instrument training again until 2000 and end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And I didn't get my instrument rating until I graduated college, like the moment I graduated college. Um, Actually, take that back. Backtrack. It was my last semester of college, January, January of, of 2017 is when I got the instrument rating. So that's a big gap between the private and the instrument. Um, and in that last semester, um, I, I had experienced all of college at that point with the audio stuff and the music industry. My business had been about two and a half years old and uh, yeah, two and a half years old. And then as I was coming up at the end of all of that, and I'm, you know, now I'm hitting it hard with instrument training. I'm about to take my check ride, and I take my check ride. I pass that, and it's, I start commercial training. And I had just fixed my back, and everything was really good with that. Um, I, I finished my commercial pots license only two, two or three months after my instrument rating, and um, I got a lot of hours really, really quick. And then I went into CFI, got it only three weeks after I got my commercial. And I got my, I got my CFI right uh, as I graduated college, like literally the week before I graduated college. And it was just all at once. And I got a job as a flight instructor right after that, a month after I graduated college. And um, with that being said, I mean, it was, it was kind of like the accomplishments of all that and also living the best of both worlds, seeing like, okay, here's the music industry. Here's the aviation industry. And where do I just 
find myself at the most peace, having the most fun, being the me, you know. Uh, and I just enjoyed the aviation industry so much more. There was so much more I could learn. So much like the ceiling was much higher. There were there's like it, the people, the planes. It's just it's just something way bigger than I I think I discovered in the music industry. You know, there I didn't see as much in in that. So that's kind of that's kind of when I knew I was like, okay, senior year. I was like, okay, I, I see I see both sides, and I want this side. I want the aviation side. This is so much more fun. Yeah. So so through all this, you know, what would you say? Maybe you know from from your younger years growing up and moving all the way up to making this decision. What have been some of those biggest lessons that you've learned and that you you would say you still hold really close close to you? Yeah, I would say uh, go faster, take it more seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah, like not faster to the point where you compromise. You know, like you don't want to fail a check ride ever. Um, uh, I know that airlines have their you know you can fail one. It's not a big no. Like I I have never failed a check ride. I I I, I say you know get it done when you're young. Because there's there's so many ways that the industry is is evolving and changing and for the best of us and it's it's awesome that we're here at this time. But at the same time, like I spent seven, I've been flying seven years, you know, and I'm at seven hundred hours, and um, you know, there's a lot of people I know that have been flying one year and they're in the airlines now. They're at fifteen hundred hours or more, and it's like, well, they're the age, the the cost benefit, the the life they have at that point. It's like okay, there's a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, we have to go at the pace that we can, but I definitely wish I had gone a little bit, not taken more seriously, yeah. you know, as a kid. And that's kind of like the point is like the youth. I see a lot of kids and youthful guys, even students of me between the ages of 16 and 21, there's, there's things that they just don't take seriously yet. And, and I was in that same boat. I, I would have. I, I would have been a commercial pilot by the time I was 20 years old or 21 years old um, before, um, you know, this age now. But because I didn't take it seriously, I was more, you know, I was doing too much at once. I didn't prioritize it. So I would definitely say I wish I moved faster. But but, it, but in the long run, right? Yeah, to each your own. And, and in the long run, right? Like, you know, maybe some of these younger kids, they're, ma- they're moving through the process quicker. But I kind of look at it as, you know, I've – maybe taking some more time to experience other things that, you know, we're all moving through the process too. Uh, are we behind in line? I mean, really, I don't know. And and maybe give me your opinion on this as well, but for speed purposes, the only reason you would want to move at a quicker pace is if you really were thinking about an airline career simply because of the line number. I mean, the line number is super important. Um, but if you're trying to do, uh, corporate work or I I don't know, something else that maybe, you know, you're not so held to this, you know, quote unquote line, um, that the airline industry is in, you know, maybe speed isn't as important. What do you feel? Oh yeah. I mean, I agree with some people. Like if your goal is a specific goal, then you, like, if you know what you want, then you don't need to, you don't need to rush it. If it's something like the corporate world or even the airline world, like I know I want to go that route and I'm not, I'm not trying to rush at this point. Um, because I have my business too, you know, um, and I'm trying to grow that and take, make sure it's at a certain point before I kind of walk away from it. Um, but like, I'll use my student Gus as an example. He is, uh, 21 years old, uh, 22 now actually. And, um, he doesn't know what he wants to do. He doesn't know if he wants to do mission work. He doesn't know if he wants to do the corporate world. He doesn't know if he wants to go airlines or instruct. And I told him, man, you know, just 
you know, you're young. And this is the beauty of being done with all that I see is like you have, by the time you get to 20 and you have 20 to 30 to try out instructing, try out the mission field, try out the corporate world, try out part 135, try out cargo. And, you know, he spends a year doing instructing. He spends a year doing the mission work. He spends a year doing this and that. And next thing you know, you're only 23 years old. You probably have way more experience than I do in different elements and different regions and different planes. And you're 23 you have way more experience, you have way more hours, and then you go, well, I know what I like. I know I know that I like the mission stuff because it was, you know, I liked having that impact on a community outside of this country or within the country. I liked, you know, the cargo world because of X, Y, and Z. I've never done that, so I have no idea. I don't even know that very, very much. Um, maybe they get, they get to travel more because they're in the cargo world, I don't know, or it's easier not having to deal with passengers or, um, or I wanted, I wanted to do the airline world because I've been there, done that with part 135 and instructing, you know, there's at that point you're young and you can decide, boom, I'm going to do this yep. because I have those options. But uh, like, that's a good route. Like if, like you said, as far as going, taking your time is not a big deal. If you know what you want to do, you know, this guy, doesn't know what he wants to do. So if you don't know what you want to do, um, the beauty of it is aviation has so many different doors. You know, you can, you can get it done and just see what's on the table. Uh, the younger you are, the, the nicer it is at the same time though, that's the thing. It's so full of opportunity that you could be 30 or 40 and be going into the airlines. That's, that's another flip of the coin. I met, my student bought an aircraft in San Antonio, Texas, and we ferried it back. But the instructor that gave me the, gave me the checkout so I could ferry it back in it, he was 44, and he just got accepted uh, as an FO at Republic Airlines. So it's like, okay, you're 44, and they're taking you in. Like at this point, like age isn't a factor. Yep. <laughs> Take your time or speed up. The opportunity is there either way. I wish I wish like I had sped up only for the sense of I'd love to you know be a little further in the aviation community. Like I said, I was, I may have like started early in the sense of, okay, I wanted to go to the academy, do this and go in the military, but I wasn't as in like immersed in it as I wish I was, you know, I didn't go to a lot of air shows. I didn't know a lot of other pilots. Um, my, my family members weren't pilots. So I felt actually kind of alone in aviation for a little while. And funny enough, it's weird that I'm finding such a community in Nashville because Nashville doesn't have that big of a, a pilot community no. that so people think it's like uh, that's actually why I do this this page, the Nashville Pilot, is because uh, I want I, it's here, it's there, but people don't see it. People don't know that it's possible to, to train. People don't know it's an option. People don't know the opportunity in it. Uh, people don't know that I. People didn't know I flew for two years. Wow. I, I I've been here between 2014 2016. No one knew I flew a plane. Then when they started seeing pictures of me on social media, they were like, "You fly planes too? What the heck?" And it's like that's that's what I want to trying to reverse i want people to know it's not just a music city here it's an aviation city here yep. anyways that's a long story for uh, your your question no but i mean it brings up a lot of great points i mean that's that's what i love about this podcast right like i'm very short of 100 hours i'm really close um so i, I mean you're way farther uh than me granted i've only been doing this uh almost a year it'll be a year this summer yeah. Yeah. um so i'm just short which isn't bad for a year um yeah. you know doing this part-time uh completely on the side but just learning from other people i mean i've had a military pilot on i've had a corporate a couple corporate pilots i've had a brand new corporate pilot i've had an airline pilot and i mean i'm going to continue having more uh, a mechanic that works for delta mel which i don't know if you're following yeah i love mel absolutely mel williams 
anybody, if you're not following Mel Williams, get over on Instagram and follow Mel Williams. Um, but he was one of your first shows, right? First. Yeah. 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 So me and Mel, like he really helped kickstart kind of a lot of the connections I started building and just a lot of the stuff that he does. I mean, he's really good at what he does. He's found his niche and he's just killing it. Um, but just introducing myself to these people, introducing these people to other people. I mean, it's just building those relationships and I hope it helps people learn all the different things you can do in aviation. Like I hope people understand that it's not just airlines out there. There's completely other jobs that you can do. Um, but I mean, it's just, you just have to try out everything. You have to reach out to everybody. You have to use social media to reach out to people like you. Uh, and if you're not the answer to their questions, you know, people that they, you know, may help and it's just going to flourish their minds to different things. Uh, so no, though it was a long way of saying it, I mean, it completely answered, uh, and actually gave some really good detail. But what I want to go into next, and you kind of already talked about it, is just your training uh, in general. You know, we won't spend too much time um, on it, but I love hearing about how people uh, went through their training. And so you're the really the first, what I would consider current practicing CFI, CFII, um, that I've had here on the show. Uh, So now that you're instructing in Nashville uh, to say, yes, there's a growing community in Nashville. I want to hear kind of the process that you took of becoming a pilot and what, you know, what was training like for you? I mean, I know it took seven years, but kind of, you know, maybe what was some, what, what were some pain points? What were some easy points? You know, just how was it for you? Yeah. So like I kind of touched on, uh, when you're young, uh, you're young. So it's like, okay, uh, I'm just doing whatever a, a kid does right now. I, I'm going to college. I'm working. I'm, I'm having a girlfriend, whatever I'm doing at when I'm 18, 19 years old. And then when you're older, you know, now you have more responsibilities. You, you might have a family. You might have a pretty serious full-time job. You may be in your master's program. You know, it's training can be difficult and, uh, it's, it's kind of how you want it to be. I mean, eventually it gets to a point where it's like, okay, do you want your private pilot's license? Do you want, like, if you want it, then study and, and take your written. So like, I'll go off my training and then off my, some of my students. But, um, you know, it took me two years and you know why? Mostly because of the written, you know, I said the written for me, was like, like annoying. I, I took a year just to read that dang book, the Jeppesen book. And I just flipped through that for a year trying to memorize the whole book. And I took my written and I was like, that was, I, I, that was a big waste of time. I feel like, right. like, like, like I, I just memorized all those questions, took this test. It wasn't that big a deal, but I treated it like I could have went about it a such better way. Yeah. And I see my students now doing that. Like my students, they'll get their hours. They're almost a 40. And I've been telling them 20 hours ago, yo, have you been studying for your written? Oh, I'm forgetting about that. Or have you gotten King? Well, there's so many different, um, you know, providers out there. I usually recommend Shepherd Air. And at the time, they like Shepherd Air didn't offer private, so I couldn't offer that. I couldn't yeah. tell people Shepherd Air. Now they do. So just full disclosure, everyone, you should use Shepherd Air. Um, but that being said, there's um, King School, there's Jeppesen, there's all these different providers. And my students, they definitely struggle uh, with the written. The younger guys do. They just they just don't see it as a priority. They just want to fly, and that's that's the hard part when, when you're younger. It's like all you want to do is fly, and you don't want you don't understand that there's all this groundwork that you have to do and all this prep that you have to do prior to the flying. You know, before you get in the plane, there's a pre-flight, <laughs> and people don't. People are like the young guys are like, oh oh oh, I have to what? I have to do all this too. Yep, yeah, you do. And, and 
and I was and I was that uh, very much so. Uh, I just wanted to fly, and then um, then as I got older, it was the responsibility stuff, you know. Um, the instrument stuff took me forever. The commercial stuff and the CFI stuff, I got it done fast, but that was just because honestly, my last semester, I was taking one class because yeah. I I had gotten ahead in college. My last semester was just one class, and I was free to do whatever I wanted. So I said, you know what, I'm going to finish all my flight ratings right now, all, all the certificates, and so I just made that conscious decision to just knock it out. And, um, now I will say the money aspect was the toughest, 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 toughest part. I, I, I saw it two ways. I said, I thought, okay, well I'm 21 years old, almost 22 and I can either take out a big fat loan, get it all done now, or I can, uh, work my job that I have now. And in about 13 years when I'm 34, uh, have my a CFI and get a job as a flight instructor. And I was like, mm, no, nah, I'll take the risk. So I, I pulled out a loan to, to pay for the flight training. And, um, and I got it all done. Um, I, I did a pretty big loan too, to get, you know, do the math, an instrument, a commercial, a CFI. Yep. And that's kind of how that went. So the pain was just not taking it seriously at first when I was younger. And then as I got older, it was like, okay, wow, a conscious decision to really do this thing. And I, I just, you know, took leaps of faith, took risks and honestly they were worth it. You know, I'm now a CFII and I'm getting more hours than I thought I'd be able to do. And flight instructing here is booming. Um, so it's, it's pretty awesome. Like that, that's kind of the story with that quickly. So you said you went to multiple flight schools. So, so in this process, what would you say was the toughest rating, uh, you, you would say to achieve? Life? Good question. I used to say instrument when I was in the moment, I, and like, I just finished the instrument and I went into commercial and see if I thought the instrument was, was definitely the hardest that written was the hardest for sure. Uh, but now that I'm thinking in hindsight, and I think it's just because I'm an instructor and the hardest people to instruct are the privates <laughs> because I got to hold their hands all the time. And then you get to instrument and you're like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like they can, I don't have to worry about them killing me. Yeah. Like they're in the plane. Um, and so there is that difference. But um, I, I think it's a tie between private, <laughs> a three-way tie between private CFI and instrument. And because private, you have all that new stuff that you probably don't have any experience with and you're just drinking water out of a fire hose. And then instrument, it's like, okay, now that you just ingested all that information and you're finally a private, oh, here's this other world of, of, of flying that it's just as much information. Um, it, it's delivered in a different way though. And it's, it can come across almost like alien, like all the symbology and all the procedures and the order to do things. It can, it can be tough for some people. So it just depends. And then the CFI, uh, I mean, there's a lot more responsibility on the CFI check ride, and it's a lot longer of a ride. Um, and so, you know, I, I was I was pretty nervous with mine, and just because I thought, okay, I'm having to teach this now. Yep. It wasn't really the CFI check ride that was tough, and the CFI training that was tough, because like I said, I got it done pretty fast. But what it was, what was tough, was the mentality that, oh, when this is done, I have to be, I am the, I'm the pilot in command. And so, um, like with that mentality in mind, that, that was a tough thing to think about until I finally just did it and it worked out. I just trusted the training and it worked out. But yeah, I know that's like a cop out. It's like, well, the, like almost all of them were pretty yeah. difficult. <laughs> well, they're all different, right? Like they all require yeah. a different level of mentality really when you're training. Yeah. Uh, and, One and way to look at it is like, okay, so like when you become a private, you have that foundation and some of my students look at it this way and I guess it could be a good thing for their confidence levels. 
but they could look, they go, well, I think training could get easier at instrument and commercial because now I know like a basis of communication. Now I know a basis of, of charts. Now I know a basis of the regulations. And, and for some of them, it does work that way. Uh, like once they have that, it gives them that confidence that the rest of it from that point on after private is just, oh, yeah, this is, this is cake. This is not bad. So, and I'm going to ask this question. I've never asked this of any guests, but you brought it up. So I'm really intrigued to hear your answer. But since you took the financial route that you decided to, do you feel, A, that made you care more about the process? And B, do you feel it affects you a little more now, you know, getting back yeah. to, you know, paying everything back, right? And being financially yeah. sound. Uh, doing the route that you did, do you feel like that really had to change your mindset about how you were going to go about this? Absolutely. If if I hadn't done, if I hadn't taken the loan out and I had gone at that slow pace, I mean, you can see I mentioned to each his own with the whole like pacing thing. You can go yep. slow, you can go fast. But for me, particularly, if I had gone at that slower pace, I don't think I would have prioritized it much as much. I think that I'd actually be more in my in my business, my artist management company, and I'd be more invested in that. And that would have taken precedence and I wouldn't have trained as hard and I wouldn't have um, taken it as seriously and I wouldn't be where I am today. And honestly, the hours come 10 times faster. So it's like it's like asking yourself, do I want to do I want to get to my job now or do I want to get to the job or the, the place that makes me feel happy when I'm 30? Well, I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm young and I know a lot of people, they don't, they didn't have that luxury in their twenties because of whatever reason. Um, so definitely not complaining, but definitely I thought, okay, well, I don't want to be 35 and then getting into my, into a career that I know I'm going to love more than anything else. So it just was a matter of that. It was definitely worth it. And, and again, it just depends on you, but uh, there, I believe that with aviation, there's, uh, definitely a route for like a way to figure it out. I really think that's true. Whether it's moving to a place where it's lucrative or getting to know people that, that can, you know, be that support system or, um, or doing what I did and taking, you know, the financial burden of, of getting it all done now and yeah. uh, worrying, worrying about that in the long, cause you know, if I get to that air, if, I'm going to be in airlines next year, hopefully if I get there, um, that, that loan will be no more in two years. So, and I'm a pretty frugal person. So I knew, I knew I could handle it, but absolutely that it was worth it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I have my own opinions and I've, I've said it on the podcast and I love hearing from people and they're just how they do it. Because, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with doing it the way you did, but it can help a lot of people. Um, and I feel like in this industry, you have a lot of differing opinions on what's good or maybe what you should do, you know, take on the burden or not to take on the burden and be patient. I mean, there's it's this balancing act, right, of what you want to do. But luckily, I feel if your mind is right and your head is in it, in this industry the way it is right now, Regardless of the path you take, I really think at the end of the day, if you're serious about it, there's something for you. Yeah. Um, if you get it yeah. done this year, in a year, and you get on the airlines, that's great. But if yeah. you take three years, I think the state of the industry still is we're still in its kind of infancy of the shortage per se, I guess or whatever. Yeah. But I, I just call it, you know, it's the change in the industry. Yeah. Um, even in three years, I think there's going to be massive opportunity for people. But it's just now it's going to be a lot better for people like us versus people yeah. that are going to wait a little bit longer. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but I want to move on to the next topic. And I think this is going to be the topic that's going to bring some really, really good stuff. And that's just, you, you know, the instructor life, what it's like to be a CFI, because we haven't talked about this, uh, on the podcast and, and I'm really stoked to have you on specifically because you're a young CFII and, you know, 
there's all this commotion in the industry about, okay, who are you going to hire as an instructor at Young CFII or are you going to hire, you know, an experienced one? Who knows, right? But yeah. I'm really intrigued to hear some of your opinions on some of these questions. And to be honest, man, I love we, we were talking about this before we started the recording, but I love your honesty and just supportive of, you know, how supportive you are out on social media. I mean, your tagline yeah. uh, on your Instagram profile, a broke Puerto Rican with a pilot's license. I mean, yeah. there's yeah. now you know why. Now, you know why $20,000 loan for all my training. <laughs> But right, like there's honesty to it. If we're just being honest about people, right? Like that's how we can help other people because we're going yeah. through it just like um, anybody else. So, what is you know as a CFWI now? What is you know your ultimate goal? You were talking about this prior to the podcast. Like you have a bigger goal uh, about this. Give me some detail yeah. on that. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I experienced a lot of. Uh, I mean, just struggle like everyone does uh, every now and then for training. With, okay, so I'm at this flight school with this instructor, and that instructor is now leaving to a new job. What am I going to do? I was about to take my check ride next week, and I needed to, I needed to practice before uh, before going in for that check ride. Okay, I gotta I gotta use this instructor now. Then I gotta use this instructor. Oh, I'm moving, so I'm going to have to find a new flight school. And um, that I'll start with that that kind of system. It really does hold back the student. I mean, a lot of people say like, what are the biggest, what are the biggest obstacles that a student will have? And then people say the money, the time, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of different things, but those are two really big ones. And for me, I noticed, and I never hear a lot of people say this, but I noticed like the instructor's availability for you as the student is huge, is huge. And so as an instructor, like going through that, I told myself, okay, when I'm an instructor, I'm going to make sure that I am there for the students. And once I start with one, I'm not leaving until they either finish their rating or they quit one of the two. And, and if they quit, it's because I'm doing a bad job probably. Um, that hasn't happened yet. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah, I, I'm pretty dedicated to the students. And like you mentioned the honesty thing and I, and I try to be super, 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 super transparent with what I do, whether it's questions on, you know, like tell me about you as an instructor. You mentioned the young versus old thing. I mean, people come through and I've had, instru- I've had students tell me, you know, honestly, Ian, um, I was hesitant to go with you because you're a younger guy, but but I actually am really glad you're my instructor. And it's really humbling to hear that uh, because like if I were a student, I'd be looking for the older guy too. I want the guy who flew in the military for however many years. I want the guy who's a 777 captain in American. I want the guy who's been flying for however many years. That's what I want. That's fine. Anybody who wants that, you have a great reason to ask for that. Um, but younger guys have something to offer too, depending on how invested they are in their students. I, I know instructors who are just there for their paycheck and are just there to get their hours and head out. And again, that goes back to the whole, like I saw that that happened to me. I don't want to want to do that to people. Um, and with that being said, you know, I, I think that it's, it's huge being invested into the students and like that guy who told me that, and those students who have told me that they, there's one aspect that people don't really see is really, really vital. And that's the personability factor. There's, there's the honesty, there's the, we're just people, you know, it's not a, yes, we're training. We got to maintain a professional and safe environment, but at the same time, we got to have fun and we got, we got to be honest about things like the planes got to be safe. The plane's got to be maintained well. Um, 
help your students figure out ways to save money. You know, as the instructor, sometimes I shoot myself in the foot because I'm like, hey, just so you know, your instrument rating, it requires this many hours of cross-country PIC time, this many hours of instrument time, simulated or actual, but you only need 15 with an instructor. After that point, you can go fly with whoever else's time building too, and you guys can get your time. You don't need to spend it all on me. With my, No one ever told me that, so I actually spent $2,000, $3,000 more on my instrument rating than I had to. Um, which is fine. Again, you know, that's, that's a system that I'm sure a lot of, uh, 141 schools go through, but at a 61 school, you should be helping the students out. Cause that's why they're there in the first place. And they're going to tell people, you know, so there's so many things and tips and tricks I give people to make the training just a little bit easier. And that kind of is where the national pilot was born. I took some people flying, um, when I was doing my commercial time building, I took 50 people flying when I was doing the commercial time building oh, wow. and just Seeing how that changed people's perspective in general, not just in aviation, um, because I brought people who were scared of heights, scared of flying. I brought people who didn't have a job, who were just kind of in a bad place. I brought people who were, you know, in a great place, but they just wanted to have a fun flight. And uh, so people from all over and seeing how that affected them, how that they made, it made them more motivated to get the job that they wanted, how it made them motivated to quit their job for a job that they loved, quit the job they hated for a job they loved, um, how it motivated them to get involved in flying. Uh, it was really cool. So I thought to myself, okay, taking all these experiences that I've had, you know, lack of instructor availability, them leaving in the middle of my training, um, lack of transparency and honesty um, with how to help me as the student. Um, and then the experience I've seen people have that weren't really affiliated in the aviation community at first. I said, okay, I want to create a community, a an initiative that kind of at first starts as something that just goes, hey, here's some, here's a, here's shining a light on this a little bit more. Like it can be fun. It's adventurous. Yeah, it's great. And the career is awesome and the uh, opportunities is dope, but um, there's more to it. Like we can do more as an instructor and um, we can, there's help for you. So here it is. But then eventually I want to turn that into a platform that actually raises money as a nonprofit to donate and sponsor people's pot certificates. So that's what I'm trying to do in the long run. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be able to make sure, like take all those principles and turn it into, you know, something tangible, AKA your pilot certificate, your private pilot certificate or your instrument rating or whatever. And that's a long-term goal, but I plan on using, you know, the, the, salary I make as an airline pilot to put back into a program like that, the connections I make with my flight school and local universities and, and high schools with programs we implement there and just, you know, try, like turning it into something that is a lot more, um, so something more attainable for people that that's what I want to do in the long run. Yeah. I mean, and one of the honesty parts, right. And what I want to get back to, I guess, in your story is what people may not realize is if they choose the CFI route you know, it, it's not, I, w- I won't say it's easy living, right? I mean, it's a lot of hard work and, you know, it's not like you're making a, a crap ton of money. Yeah, no, I you're mean, not. You're making instructors paychecks, right? Like, and there's yeah. honesty behind that and people sometimes don't realize the honesty behind that. I mean, it's a lot of hard work for not yeah. a lot of pay, but the payoff is the end. Yeah. I mean, what is your, what would you say to somebody that says, you know, I'm thinking about flight instructing as yeah. my way of building hours instead of, I don't know, you know, maybe going to work for a 135, building some time, working on a Pilatus, you know, a piece I would of say, I would say they would learn a lot of the dirty side of aviation because there's like, first off, there's so much liability oh, yeah. 
in that in that part because it's a it's a especially if you're at a 61 school i'll tell you like i've experienced 61 schools that don't take care of their planes for example and then there's instructors there who you know they're really good instructors and they're trusting the administration to take care of those planes and then issue after issue happens and it's it becomes the question how safe are these planes and so you learn you learn the business side of things and how that can be nasty sometimes you learn um you know there's people here in the left seat that they don't know how to land a plane and you know they're they're learning i had a student one time we were practicing uh, uh power on saws and the he freaked out from he freaked out from because he pulled up way too hard freaked out from the g's and then put it almost into a spin it went 90 degrees and i had to grab controls and it's like moments like that you know you're not going to get into a moment like that in a part 135 yeah like you're not going to have that happening. If, if that happens, you're fired on that day. If, if that ever happened, if you ever caused that, um, but you wouldn't be at that job anyways, cause you have your hours for it. And yep. that being said, um, so you learn, you learn a lot that you wouldn't learn in those areas that I think actually airlines and one thirty fives they might want to see. Um, there's a, there's a positive, there's a pro and there's a con because with the pro you learn, you know, the responsibility of being an instructor and teaching that you learn, you, the, you get to have, uh, the satisfaction of, you know, creating another pilot. The con is you don't see a lot of new things. Um, I sat down with a guy who owns a charter company here in Nashville and he said, honestly, Ian, like if I had the choice of hiring a 700 or 800 hour time pilot who, uh, ran mail and checks around the region, uh, versus a pilot who, um, is a CFI with 2000 hours, who's just been in the pattern his whole time, all of his hours, I'm going to hire the guy who's been flying around the region through weather and through different areas. And he's, he's probably got more experience than the flight instructor. I honestly wouldn't argue with that. I see the same airports all the time, every day. And it, it can, it not only can it get a little bit monotonous, but it can, uh, it doesn't, you know, help you well with a resume. Like I wish I, I want to fly more. Th- I want to fly tailwheels. I want to fly. I got to get my multi-engine rating anyways, but I want to fly the multis. I want to fly uh, high performance. I want to, you know, fly a turboprop. I want to, I want, I want a little bit more diversity. So there's, there's pros and cons. And I think that's, that's every single part of the aviation industry. Um, but Definitely, I, I definitely recommend trying it out to people. I mean, I'm a CFI, so I'd love to see more CFIs, especially CFIs who are being honest yep. with things um, and helping the students out. Because I'm like back to the whole, you know, transparency. The CFIs that's a, they're a big, big, big part of creating new pilots and f- facilitating that that industry. Um, I am not going to leave any of my students, and like I'm not going to the airlines until. I have cut off taking new students and then finished everyone. And the moment I'm done with all my students, I'm going to head to the airlines. And that's, that's like, that's a big thing to say. And, uh, and I don't expect people to ever like follow suit. Um, but cause it's their careers at the end of the day, they have to do what's best for them and their families and what, whatever. But, um, it, the instructor is a big, 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 big hand in helping people become pilots and they gotta be, they gotta be more helpful to students. And that being said, CFI route's fun. I like it. It's, it can be stressful. It can be tough, but I mean, any, anything is, you know, that, that is worth it. So. So what do you think, and you've already alluded to, to one piece of this question, but the question is, what do you think sets great instructors, you know, apart from bad instructors? And obviously transparency is one thing. I mean, that's yes. like the biggest thing ever. But yes. what would you say is another thing that really separates those types safety, of safety, 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 100%. The type of instructor, you do not want an instructor who's going to 
who's going to like bend the rules or be okay with like saying, ah, you don't need to worry about, you know, putting that seatbelt on for this type of flying that we're about to do, or you don't need to worry about that part of the checklist, or you don't need to worry, you know, like an instructor who does that, um, is is too complacent, like way too complacent, way too complacent. Because what's going to happen, they may be a great knowledgeable instructor, um, but they're going to teach you those kind of habits. They're going to sign you off. You're going to go out there one day without having a very crucial building block. And that is, you know, that's the safety aspect of things. You don't want to get complacent in the cockpit. And when you go out there trying to do landings, um, you're one day going to strike a prop, you know, and, and not, not only is that student pilot going to be uh, traumatized or that private pilot, because by the way, I've seen more commercial and CFI and multi-rated pilots get into situations like that than I have student pilots and private pilots. I've seen that happen a lot more with the more experienced guys. And I think that's just because it's like one of those festering wounds that's just sitting there waiting to pop. And it's like, okay, one of these days you're like that kind of training translated to you and you operate that. It's only a matter that way. And it's only a matter of time before like it hurts you. And uh, so that's what I'd say the safety aspect, someone who is just by the book uh, for the most, for the most part by the book. And I say uh, for the most part, only because there's times when the regulations, you know, you should be calling the FISDO to like kind of there's arguments always going on on the you know the forums it's like how do we interpret this line how do we interpret that line and it's like okay we got to get someone more experienced than us to get kind of help us figure this out um and I and I bring that up because like for example um if you want to if you want to you know someone wanted to do a baby reveal at my flight school we wanted to show what's the gender of this baby going to be it's going to be a boy or a girl well let's show the family let's let's attach smoke grenades to the outside of the plane is this legal is this legal we don't know safety is a big is a big key for for a good instructor that's definitely the the how to tell so what things you know now that you're you know you're pretty experienced working with uh quite a few students what do you think you know could sour a relationship between a student and a flight instructor. Yeah, that's the personability aspect. Uh, definitely, if you're not friendly, if you're not, if you're not a caring about the students, and you're just, just you know, a jerk in the plane to the student. If you're very obvious, you're not there for them, and you don't even care about instructing. You probably shouldn't be instructing in the, in the first place because that just means you don't like it. You, just, you may be better off doing. Car- Part 135, you may be better off doing charter or whatever, whatever job you can find. Um, but yeah, no, that you can sour a relationship big time by just not treating the student right and with how they want to be treated. And at the end of the day, the student is your boss. They'll fire you on the spot. Yep. I've, I've heard of many stories of, of uh, DPEs telling me, you know, what people seem to not understand about the CFIs is that the CFIs are working for you. Like the, you're the money for them. They pay at least at a 61 school, like they're paying the part 61 school and then the 61 school is paying you. And, you know, if you piss that person off, they can just go, you know what? I want someone else. You're not my instructor anymore. And like, that's it. And you just, that could have been someone who's going from private to instrument to commercial to CFI. And because you weren't a nice person to them, because you don't like your job or because you're not, maybe you're not good at your job, whatever it is, you know, but the personability thing's huge. Um, and people will catch on to that real quick. And, uh, I, I like to think that's one of my biggest strengths as an instructor. I'm not the most, I'm not the most knowledgeable instructor. You know, I'm young, I'm, I'm only at 700 hours. I got a lot more experience to have and a lot more you know, knowledge to learn. Um, but a big, big, uh, 
you know, piece of my tool belt is that I'm, I'm pretty personal with people. And when I made the move over to Smyrna to fly at that flight school, almost every single one of my students um, left the other flight school and came to, came to the flight school. And it's an extra 30-minute drive for them. And they oh, come wow. just, be, just because of me. So like, uh, just, on the flip side then, what, you know, maybe if a student and an instructor aren't getting along or they're just having a tough time, right, building a relationship, yeah. what could students do to better their relationship with their instructor? Uh, I mean, I think communication is the thing there. Um, I know that kind of sounds pretty basic, but I mean, a lot of students are think that like if you come into it with that mentality that that instructor, I'm their boss or like I'm, I'm, we're both here for the same reason. We're both trying to build time. We're both trying to get somewhere. We're both on the same team, you know? Your, his safety is reliant on you know me working with him and listening to him and vice versa. If you come in with that confidence and knowing that and just trying to be yourself and be friends with the guy, it's going to be a lot easier. And but so that flip side, it's normally not like that. Flipping that, um, students will come in. I know I did kind of you know looking looking up to my instructor and feeling like I had to like abide by whatever he said and do whatever he says and listen to him and I was intimidated by my instructor and I feel like a lot of people are at first and because you know it's a new environment they don't know this guy um, they don't know his background his or her and um, with that being said the student can come in just completely like okay I am out of my element and I don't I don't know what I'm what I'm doing I mean that can detract that can detract a student from just speaking up and saying, Hey, this is what I need from you. Um, you know, I, I need, I need to, I learn this way or I want to accomplish this or, you know, communication is big. And if the instructor doesn't know certain things, he can't go about his job the best way. So students definitely need to communicate what they want from the instructor and from their training hundred percent. And so all instructors kind of have, you know, everybody has their own experience. They have their own what I kind of call, quote unquote, their thing or their tips and tricks. So what is maybe one or two things that you feel that have really helped you as an instructor that you've given maybe as tools or, you know, ideas that you've given your every single student that you've worked with that has helped them? Yeah. Um, so as far as like, first off, like I, I go back to the whole being uh, like I mentioned the being friends and the personality factor, but it kind of diving into that and what that looks like is, you know, I have a great contrast to seeing how other instructors have worked, my, co- my coworkers, my colleagues and how I work. And the moment they're out of that flight school, they're, they're not talking to their students. <laughs> they're, they're like off. Like at that point, if it's the weekend, I'm not responding to a text and I'm not picking up their phone call. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the opposite. I don't know if that's everyone. I don't know if the norm is what I'm doing or what. I don't really have a lot of frame of reference except for, you know, the flight school that I worked at and the flight school I'm working at now. And it's a pretty small flight school, part 61 world. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm there for my students. I'm, I'm, texting them all the time. I am calling them all the time. We hang out sometimes. We go, we go get some food. We go to the movies. We go to whatever. We, we chill. We're, we're, we're good friends. And um, I would definitely say that, you know, keeping that line of communication open, talking to them, letting them feel like you're always available for them, that is, that is a big thing. And that helps them in their training. That helps them progress. But the second thing is going back to what we talked about for the podcast or, or at the beginning of the podcast, Google it. Like the, the whole, all of this stuff is out there. I get a lot of DMS from people internationally and domestically. And they're like, what, what, if I want to fly, what do I do? How do I go about doing this? 
And, um, you know, I don't know these people. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's real inquiries or if they're just trying to spam, spam the account. But um, it's as simple as you like, I'm going to be honest, 80% of what I've experienced in these books that I paid for um, in, you know, in the training that I paid for and that we all pay for is, is out there for free. Like a lot of it is out there for free or really cheap. One of the two, like now we have all these YouTube pages of, of pilots out there giving out all these information on how to read a Jeppesen approach plate and how to shoot an ILS and what is, what's so fly and like all of this stuff. And honestly, like it's getting to the point where you can almost just do training on this on the computer right here and learn so much. So um, doing the research ahead of time, I see translate very well into the cockpit. Uh, we always say the cockpit is a terrible classroom. You don't want to just be learning every all the groundwork and all of this stuff at first in the cockpit. It's a terrible place to do it at first. It's going to take you twice as long to, to get your hours. If you want your hours at 40, which everyone comes through the door saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to budget to get my training done at 40 hours. And that's like, cool if you can. And I've seen it done by some of my students, too. But um, I have younger students. I have some older students who are either they're too busy or they're just not prioritizing it that it's going to take them longer because they're not doing the groundwork and they're not studying. They're just waiting to meet me and then we do the work and it's like, oh, you're not going to – and I tell them that straight up. Um, it's, it's You're going to make the best progress if you do the homework. So research um, and using Google and using YouTube and DMing people and asking people like you and me on Instagram, hey, how did you do this? What? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. You know, It doesn't have to be you know flying. What about if I wanted to start a podcast? I'm going to come to you and say – how do I start a podcast, dude? I've never even thought of this, but it's kind of cool and I'd love to do it. Like things like that. That's how you learn. You don't have to pay X amount of dollars. Like there's ways to cheat it and um, there's ways to figure it out. And that's what I'd say our two big, big, big tips is do the homework at home. You know, don't wait to be with the instructor. And also having a line of communication with your instructor is huge. It really helps a lot. And you really talked about the social aspect to it, and you kind of stole my thunder on my last question about your you're kind of the instructor. Sorry, I life. promise I'm not. I promise I'm not reading no, through these. I'm not, I, I'm not. Not, I can't. I can't do this back and forth. I'm. <laughs> I'm actually being pretty spontaneous, and uh, so it's just coincidence that. <laughs> no, it's 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 really really good. You brought up the the whole topic of, of use, utilizing your social network and how you've learned that you're like, man, I wish I had this knowledge. And I wish I had some knowledge too, even though, you know, I'm coming up, coming up on a hundred, a uh, hundred hours. But I mean, there really is nowadays, especially for young people interested in aviation is utilizing social media to achieve their aviation goals. And yep. I mean, the good people are out there. You just have to go find them. People mm -hmm. can come to me and I'll give them free advice. I don't care. You know, um, people can go to you, you know, you could ask yeah. me about my pot. I've, I've helped, uh, you know, two other people, they had questions about podcasts. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, Hey, because in all honesty, right? Like they're not, are we competing against each other? Maybe who cares? Right. We're just, I don't know. I believe the people that are successful in the aviation industry and the people that can build the biggest network and help are, are the people that are going to be helping each other yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and the, on the flip side of that too, like as someone who's on a business, me and my business partner, um, we really thrived on a collaborative versus competitive business model and that created a environment and an ambience around our business that people feel comfortable working with us. A lot of musicians, a lot of artists in Nashville, they're very anti-businesses. They're very, very, very anti-business. They are and, and that's that's fine. The independent route is what's in today in the music industry and for good reason. There but that being said, with the business side of things, you know, there is a way to go about you know, that free information is out there, 
but there's a way for us to, to go, okay, well, how can I create a brand around that information that's out there to deliver this in a, in a more receptive way for people that then makes it worth paying for. Like there's a way for it to be worth it. There's a way to go about, um, paying for that book or that, that, that instructor or whatever it is. And, and it becomes, you know, like there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a knock on. So when I say like, do the research, you don't have to go to a one forty one school or part yep. 61. You don't have to pay. You don't have to pay me or my, my friend who's an instructor. You don't have to, you know, it's not about them. They're not doing anything wrong. Um, at least hopefully. Um, but there are ways to like work them both in. There's ways to save. There's ways to learn certain things and then come to me and go, Hey, so I learned this, 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 I just need to execute. So that's where you come in or, you know, like there's ways to do it for all of us to thrive. Like you said, like, um, are we in competition? Maybe, but like a collaborative aspect and healthy competition, a mix of those things that really creates a healthy environment for everyone to thrive, I think. And from, from the experience in the music industry here in my business. Yeah. And just like the music industry, you know, I know a little bit about it, but not definitely not as nearly as much as you, but I truly believe, and I will say this till the day I die, that the aviation industry, you do as well as you do in your relationships. Um, it, I believe it's a completely relationship-based business. I believe the people who work uh, really hard and care for their network, um, they're going to be more successful in the business than uh, people that just focus purely on flying and don't care about their network. I mean, there's people, they go completely through their, all their, they buzz through their flight training and all this, and then they get to 1,200 hours, and they're like, well, I can't get a job. Like, this is hard for me to get a job. Yeah. When I know that there's 500-hour pilots out there even in Canada, because I've had one uh, yeah. on the podcast, he's already in a Gulfstream jet, and he hasn't even hit 500 hours yet. So, wow. I mean, the, the network is so powerful, but you have to be willing to put in the work. Yeah, I'm jealous of that Gulfstream guy. Well, it, we'll just say the Canadian rules are a little different than the <laughs> FAA rules. Uh, yeah, there you go. So FAA is a little I'll more move, stringent. I'll move to Canada then, maybe. He's uh, he's even admitted to me. He's like, yeah, if I was in the states, I wouldn't be flying a, a Gulfstream right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> go uh, figure. All right, so man, that that's awesome. I mean, I hope that gave uh, the listeners really kind of the inside of what it's like to be an instructor. I mean, it's so much different than being a student, and it takes a lot. Um, a, a lot more effort and a lot more patience that, that some people just don't have. Um, so I applaud you for, you know, doing what, you know, a lot of people don't really think about nowadays, but I know there's still a lot of people, um, that look at the CFI world because that's how they're going to build hours. But yeah. I love, I love how you're doing it. You're doing it in a positive way. Uh, you're doing it to help people. Um, I just, I just, for the sake of the industry, I want more people to be CFIs, CFIs, with that behind them instead yes. of just doing it to make money and because that's not going to produce better pilots and that's not going to produce a better industry. Right. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's totally true. And, uh, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even think I'd like instructing. I thought I, I would hate it. I thought I would be bad at it. Um, and I, I truly do love it. And, um, so I'm, I'm excited to keep, keep it going. And I even foresee myself when I'm in the airlines, um, you know, doing some instructing on the side and, and helping some people out here and there if I can. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that I personally really enjoy and I hope more people can find some, some adventure and fun in that. Um, so to kind of wrap up kind of the question part, uh, of the podcast, I want to touch on three questions just to you personally, right? The, the kind yeah. of questions that, you know, will get people to understand maybe how you think, uh, differently than other people. So, you know, we touched briefly on this throughout the podcast, you know, what kind of makes you and how you think, but what are some of your personal values that you always 
you know, you always live by or want to live by? Yeah, for, for me, it's, it's definitely putting people first. Um, there, you talk, you talk about the relationship aspect of things and I didn't realize how important that was until I moved to do a new flight school. And, uh, you know, I didn't think my students would follow me because I'm like, Oh, um, well, you know, that's a longer drive guys. But I must have left a good impression because they're all coming this way. And some of my students have a tailwheel, and I'd love to get a tailwheel endorsement from that person maybe. And some of my students are, are wanting to time build or have their own planes. And, you know, there's, like you said, the relationship thing, it, it's huge. And I didn't think it would be this huge. And um, so definitely as far as personal values go, uh, I just try to put people first. And, and it's worked so far. It's a people business. And that goes for everything. It's not just the aviation industry. If people, if people learn that, like I learned that, um, I think that I think that they'll get a lot further with things rather than you know whatever other other you know mantra they might have. But yeah, and, and I kind of sum it up as you know, it's doing the right thing is, is always the right thing. You know, there's so many people in aviation. I and it happened to a school here in town, and it just breaks. It literally breaks my heart when people lose thousands of dollars because there was a greedy flight school. Um, but doing the right thing, I leave, it will leave such a bigger and longer legacy than I guess trying to steal things and doing things the wrong way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of experience going through the grueling process of getting all the way to a CFW, you know, CFW. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. So what do you believe is the most common reason for, you know, whether it's young aviators or just young, young the younger generation uh, yeah. in themselves giving up on their dreams, whether that's in the aviation field or just in general. I mean, we're well, living it today. Yeah. What's, I mean, I, I see a big, big reason of it being, you know, as, as, as normal as it sounds, the, the money aspect is huge. I've seen a couple of people just fall through the cracks there. Uh, but going even past that, you know, it's, it's a confidence thing. The moment someone, makes their landing on their own, solos on their own, um, you know, do a cross country and they learn more and more. I've seen these students get so much confidence and enthusiasm and the money becomes no factor at some point. You know, I met with one guy, Billy, um, and he's going to be stoked. I mentioned his name on this podcast, but this guy, Billy, he sat down, he did a discovery flight with me. And this guy is obsessed with aviation. He built his own flight simulator. And it's not just like, he's not just like, you know, one computer screen and he's got a joystick or whatever he built. It's his seat is elevated off the ground. It rotates around on axes. Like this guy built a pretty legit, wow. uh, flight sim. And he had been running off that for so long just for fun. Cause he was that enthusiastic about that. But one day came through to do a discovery flight, I guess for his birthday or something flew with me. He said, Hey, can we go do touch and goes? I was like, how do you even know what that is? You're here on a discovery flight. We go to an airport. We go do, we, he's flying the plane. And I'm like, dude, have you flown before? He tells me, no, nah, no, nah, I've never flown before, but I have a sim. Check it out. And, and um, after that, he just caught the bug. That was the itch. I've never seen someone with the itch that bad. And we, he takes me to dinner because he wants to learn about this stuff. And we go to eat and he's like, man, the money is going to be really tight. And he sees my social media stuff and he's just inspired and he sets up his, he hits me up one day and he says, dude, I'm dropping a block. I'm going to start this thing. I don't care. And then he's been keeping up with me. He sends me photos when he's soloed. He sends me photos when he's doing this, that, because he's still at the other flight school. And just seeing that enthusiasm, I can see like the money just stop being a factor. 
it just stopped. So um, I can definitely to transition into the final conclusion on that is uh, the morale is huge when you fail a check ride, when you have a scary experience uh, or any negative experience. It can really detract a student from from uh, going forward. Um, so a quick example on that is I mentioned instructors being for their students. One instructor just left the airline. Uh, he's now at a FO at PSA. Well, his student is now coming to me, and we did a flight at the new flight school. And um, he told me after our flight, he said, man, I honestly don't know what I'm doing. Mike left and and uh, to go do the airline thing, which is great, but I have no, I have no direction now. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, I, and so I'm trying to find out what, where to go from here. And at that point, it becomes like a danger zone because this guy's starting to lose morale. He doesn't know where to go. He needs someone – like, he's a student still. He needs, he needs some direction, some guidance. And um, so, like, that can be a big killer for people. And so always try to find where that confidence is going to come from, whether it's the instructor helping you out or it's just taking it very seriously and making sure that every experience you have is a good one. But, yeah, those are two big ones. So kind of wrapping up the questions, uh, if you could send yourself a message, you know, 10 years back, what would you tell the younger Ian? Uh, let's see. What would I tell myself? I'm really intrigued. I love I ask everybody this question. I'm just so intrigued what everybody says. Uh, let's see. Let's see. That's a, that's a tough one. Cause the, the 10 years ago thing, you know, remember I was, what 13, I I wasn't even flying back then. So, um, I would definitely say, uh, don't go to that swim meet. Definitely don't (laughs) Don't go to that swim meet. Don't go to that swim meet. Take care of yourself and take care of your kidneys and your back. Because I probably, I definitely, I definitely would be in the military at this point. If, if, uh, if, even if the academy didn't work, work out, if I maintained my health pretty well, uh, physically, I would have, I would have definitely joined the military, whether it was OCS school or RTC in college or whatever. Maybe even gone to Embry Riddle and done the RTC program there. But that, that's, I guess I'd tell myself that because I, I, I have a sweet soft spot for the military. I really respect those guys and, uh, I guess that's one of those things where it's like, oh, I didn't get to do it, so I'm living vicariously through you. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I do. Take care of yourself. <laughs> All right, man. I mean, this podcast has been awesome so far. I mean, we've we've learned, you know, where you've come from personally, you know, how your uh, journey to become a CFII, how, how long that took, all the different things that, you know, kind of maybe I don't I wouldn't say are bumps in the road uh but maybe it detracted you a little bit and you were just trying to find your itch uh and then you finally found it and then kind of gave us the insight of what it's like not only to be an instructor but kind of what it's like from the instructor side you know what students should know um and I think you gave a lot of great input and I really hope the audience took something away uh from that but now we're going to get into the really fun part of the podcast. And this is my favorite part of the podcast. And that's because we've reached the lightning round. And the lightning round is going to be a fun way to really, we're going to get to know a different side uh, okay. of the end. We're going, to, we're going to answer some fun questions here. So the lightning round is 10 questions. You have to say whatever's on the tip of your tongue. Uh, okay. I ask everybody the same 10, ten questions. So I'm not letting you get away uh, with anything uh, that all my other guests, uh, you know, they've done the same thing too. So. If you're ready for the lightning round uh, questions, uh, are you ready for it? Oh, I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Question number one. Everyone in aviation has their own quirks. So on a scale of one to ten, how weird do you consider yourself? No, that's going to be an eight. That's an eight. Okay. I continue my streak. I say it every time. I haven't gotten anything below a seven. 
<laughs> I tell you, I'm man, it's I honestly. Say, I, I was wondering if I was going to joke around and say zero coming out of the gate, but <laughs> just, to, just to mess with you. But no. I tell my aviators, I say, you have to be honest because I know, yeah. I know we're all a little, little bit weird. All yeah, right. Question sure. number two. What's your favorite word? Uh, it's a, it's definitely a tie between dope and honestly. I say that I've said it several times in this podcast. All right. Question number three. What's your favorite food? This is going to sound very basic, but chicken, like anything, chicken wings, chicken sandwiches, chicken, whatever. It's such a Southern thing to say. I have to say that. That is. (laughs) You you said that was such like, of course. Yeah. All right. Question number four. What sound or noise do you absolutely love? Motorcycle. The sound of motorcycle revving up. Yeah. That's a new one. I, I like that. All right. My, my student and I hopped out of the plane yesterday at the airport and just revved his bike up that he just bought. And uh-huh. we, we rolled it between the hangers <laughs> it was oh, on Easter man. Sunday because no one was there. <laughs> FBO was closed. So. <laughs> All right. Question number five. What's the most important thing you carry with you on every single flight? My student yesterday, Chinese student, first student I ever sent the check ride, gave me a good luck charm yesterday. It was our first time flying since he passed his check ride last year. Oh, and we wow. flew for a first while. And he gave me a good luck charm. It's like a little string with a sewed fabric on it with a Chinese symbol. And he just told me, take it with you when you fly and don't ever forget it because it's not going to be good if you forget it in an airplane. I said, all right, don't tell me that. Well, that's, I guess it's now the most important thing you have to carry with yeah. you. All right. Well, he scared me, so I'm going to take it with me now every time I fly. It's funny how scare tactics kind of uh, it work nowadays. All right, question number six. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt if you had the chance? Commercial real estate. Really? Yeah, it sounds boring, but a lot. I have some friends who are younger than me and have worked half as hard as me, and uh, they are making five times more than me at the age of 22, 23. So it's like, okay, I want to do that. Try it out one day. Um, that's if I was living another life, but yeah. commercial real estate. <laughs> All right, question number seven. What is something you're not very good at? Taking good advice. I'm pretty stubborn. Really? You got a yeah. little stubborn side of you? I'm a stubborn dude, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I think as pilots, it's like we get to a certain point. I feel like every pilot has a little bit of a stubborn side to them, and if they yeah. if they say they don't, I feel like they're kind of they're holding back yeah. something, you know? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> All right. They're definitely saying they're definitely answering below a seven on the uh, weird scale. Yeah, and if they are, they're not allowed on this podcast. Right. <laughs> All right. Question number eight: What is your ultimate dream in life? Oh, uh, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, okay, so I mean, there's a, I have a lot of like small things, typical like captain, build my own plane, own my own plane. But I would definitely say the ultimate goal is having a family, having a family, of kids. That's, that's- big. Big time for me. That's most important always. And then you can train them as well. <laughs> Legacy will live on. Exactly. I will first and last. <laughs> All right. Question number nine. What is your biggest pet peeve in aviation? When Nashville approach or departure says dilly dilly on the radio and they don't let me say it. No, really? Okay. That's yeah. actually kind of funny though. It's funny. It's funny. It's funny. That's funny when they say it. I just wish I could because I like it's like they'll say it and they'll like the airline guys will say it back. And then if they say it to you and you try to say it, they just go, okay. Like they, they're not, their tone changes. Like they're not happy that you joined in on it. Like yeah. you're not, there. it's pretty annoying. <laughs> All right. Last question of the lightning round. If you could fly anything, than the little 172 or any other general aviation plane that you fly now, what would you fly? Trent Palmer's Kit Fox. Oh, man, that thing is so nice. Oh, I love it. 
I want to fly. <laughs> that thing is that thing is awesome. I that mean, it, awesome. it just looks like it's man. I feel like if you put it out in a windstorm, it would just get blown over. I mean, it looks so light, <laughs> but it's so yeah. That's powerful. why it keeps it in a hangar for sure. I would love to fly that thing though. You should get him on your podcast next and ask him that because I want to know if he would fly some other than his Kit Fox. You, you know, if I was him, and I I know he's hung out with him, but. Uh, if I could fly anything right now, I'm on this like big uh, Draco or Draco, Draco, yeah, Draco, Draco, yeah. Draco. Draco. However, it's pronounced. How it, he did that plane and how he just turned it into a new, just menace machine. Yeah, it's just truly incredible. What he, I mean, I know he did it with his. Uh, uh, what did he have? He had a different aircraft. He did the same thing, put a massive engine in it, and I know he redid it. So I, he's a big engineer guy. But that's yeah. a sick airplane. I know him and Trent uh, know each other quite well. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that is question number 10. We've wrapped up the uh, the lightning round questions. I appreciate you your honesty because I love the honesty when it comes to lightning round because it adds just that extra bit of entertainment. But we're going to wrap up the podcast now. And how I wrap up every single podcast is I'm going to ask you one question and then I'm going to allow you to ask me a question. And what I love about this is I don't know what you're going to ask me. This is really impromptu. I'm really intrigued. It can be about aviation. doesn't have to be about aviation, but at the end of the day, I don't know what you're going to ask, so it puts me on the spot. Uh, so the question, the, what, the last question I want to ask you is 50 years from now, how do you want people to remember Ian? I want people to remember hopefully an impact that I brought to the aviation community uh, like I talked about with the national project, the national pilot project, and what I'm trying to do with that, um, I hope that goes somewhere, and that people can remember that that actually happened, and that it actually had a, a positive influence of some sort. So that's that's definitely what I would want for that. And that's really funny that you have that. You know, it, it comes to if you want to, I recommend you listening. I want to say it's maybe like episode one or like nine of my podcast. I talk about why I decided a to join aviation, you know, be in aviation and become a pilot, but to why I started this podcast and some of the other things I'm doing, because it falls in line with a lot of what you're saying. Uh, yeah. and it's weird. A lot of the younger folks who I'm starting to connect with, who are really serious about this, they kind of say the similar things. Um, and I know, and, not, original. not and, original at all, <laughs> but there's a difference between originality and people. I know I can tell right away if somebody's bullshitting me, or yeah. if somebody's serious, I can already tell. I could tell by what you put out online because you're truthful and honest about it, uh, and you're not fronting. I call it fronting or flossing, right? It's oh, the, I love that. I love that. Uh, yeah, because there's a lot of it. But I, it, it's weird. I just get that vibe, and then just from your story, I know it's the truth, right? And I, yeah. I literally can call somebody in a BS artist when they say something. I'm like, no, you don't. You're not going to do this. Um, but I share, you know, a lot of what you want to do too because I think it's so important. Um, and I really do think it's the only way this industry is going to continue is if people like you and I do that, uh, do that type of stuff. Yeah. So what is the question do you want to ask your host? Huh. So I really, really, you stumped me with that question. If you sent a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell your younger, your younger self? So, uh, I'm curious how you would answer that. Like if you're asking me that question, I'm, I would assume, you know what you would say to yourself. So. What would you tell yourself 10 years ago? You know, it's funny because I actually don't know. So I appreciate you oh, putting me on the that. spot. Let's um, see I'm just so intrigued by what other people would say. But the honestly, and, and I'm kind of going to uh, kind of rebuttal to your term of maybe speeding things up. Um, okay. But if I could say, so 10 years puts me at 18, yeah. 28 years old. Um, A is patience. Be patient. Um 
luckily, I think at the age of 18, and I guess I'm not really infected by this whole social media mind and you know you have to have everything the best you got to have all this and that you got to show it off (laughs) it's because you know i remember social media didn't come out until about my junior year of high school i want to say when really people started getting hooked on facebook and it wasn't what it was um you had to be invited to facebook you couldn't log on um so being patient um and i wish i would have told myself more listen to what you really want to do and don't be afraid to tell people. Um, I mean, I guess the reason why I'm now, you know, in aviation and a pilot is because later in life I decided to speak up and actually say what I wanted to do. Um, because if I, you know, if I think back, if I would have let people know that I had a serious passion in aviation and wanted to become a pilot, I think I'd be way farther ahead in this game. Uh, you know, than I am, but then again, I don't, you know, it gave me time to really look at other things, uh, you know, explore other opportunities, explore internships, explore college, even though, to be honest, I feel like college was kind of a waste of four years, even though I did a lot of good networking, had a lot of fun, went to yeah. a lot of fun places. I don't disagree with you. Right. Like, um, but at the end of the day, like I think back and I'm like, man, I didn't take anything out of college except my network and my relationships. Uh, but I did have a lot of good teachers, but focusing on what I wanted to do, letting people know about what I wanted to do, uh, and really sticking to that and not letting other people's opinions, uh, I don't want to say infect you, but affect you. Um, because I feel like today in the world, you kind of have either pressure from your parents, pressure from society, like do this because this is what everybody does. Like listen to yourself, make yourself, make yourself happy. Um, but I think it's really important in today's culture that if you want to do something at a young age, you got to tell people about it because then it's kind of like our network game, right? Like if you tell people, Hey, I want to start, you know, this nonprofit and you're like, Oh, I want to start this too. You know, and you find synergies or they help you, you help me. Um, but that's never going to happen if you don't tell people about something. So I wish I would have spoken up on some things at a younger age. Uh, yeah as well. So I'm sure I could have a whole list of things that I would tell my younger self now that I'm 10 years ahead of myself now. Um, but also not to regret anything. I think kids nowadays, they're like, man, I wish I would have done this at the age of 18. And I'm like, well, I'm 28, right? I'm still young. Um, so we still have that time. So, you know, don't be afraid uh, of patience. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. So to wrap up the podcast, this is going to be for the post that we're going to do on this. And I'm really excited to get this episode out because it was so different. It was a lot of good content. I think it's going to be some stuff that's going to be really useful for a lot of people out there. What question would you like to ask my small but growing audience? And we'll post this out on the post, too. Yeah, yeah. So I would definitely say that the aviation community or the aviation industry is evolving. So I'm curious how the, the listeners would want it to change to benefit us like uh, I'm, I'm wondering you know what do you want to see from the aviation industry because i feel like just knowing for us people like us knowing what the listeners want to see as a whole then people like us can further ahead with the experience with the knowledge we can go we can facilitate something like that for the future maybe who knows maybe we can connect that those dots for them one day and join up with them who who answer that question so i'm very curious how they want to see the aviation industry change all right Big- so- so there you have it, everybody. We're gonna we're gonna post this question uh, on the post uh, as well. But what would you like to see 
you know, change uh, about this industry, whether it's, I don't know, maybe rules, uh, maybe yeah. it's, I mean, just anything, how we put our, how we put ourselves out or just training in general, you know, everything. Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, so we'll post that out there. But the next question is, I kind of want to give you your time. Uh, you know, how can people find you on social media? So when we post this question, uh, huh. out, they can reach out to you and uh, hopefully get yeah. an answer as well. Yeah. So you can find me, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, just those two platforms for now at the Nashville pilot. Um, soon YouTube, I'm actually, I've been actually uh, working on, um, some pretty big aviation films with a video guy here that I'm going to be releasing on YouTube. So, uh, I've been sitting on those for a while. I just wanted to build a bigger audience before I get into that. But at the Nashville pilot on everything, when everything's open and the website's done, um, is where you can find me. Awesome. Well, Ian, thank you again, man. Uh, I know it's been a little bit difficulty trying to get this one scheduled, but we made it happen. We, we did it. Man, it was such great information. And thank you again for being a guest uh, on the podcast. And guys, don't forget, uh, make sure you check out you know all the information we post out on Instagram. You can find the podcast account at Av Geek Chronicles uh, over on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Instagram personally at Hodge, H O D G E underscore C H C H E. And you can also find this podcast if you want to share this with friends out on pretty much every single podcast outlet. Uh, so whether you use iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, whatever uh, system you use, uh, you know, if you have any friends interested in hearing about the podcast, make sure you tell them about it and tell them it's available on every podcast outlet. So, Ian, thank you again for being a wonderful guest. And all our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Ask, Ask the Av Geek Show on the Av Geek Chronicles podcast. That's a tongue twister, man. That uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> but we will see everybody next time, and we hope to see you next uh, next episode on the Av Geek Chronicles podcast. See you, everyone. Let's go.